Our first reading is from Romans chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting, it is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from the works prescribed by the law. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter. Then Jesus said to the Judeans who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Happy Reformation Day. Or perhaps I should say, notable Reformation Day. And that's because we aren't really supposed to celebrate any time that the church ends up divided. But we do acknowledge this pivotal event in our history, especially for we Lutherans with our tradition born of the Reformation. And with that, we emphasize the importance of Reformation in general. The church is always reforming to meet the needs of the day and to help answer the important questions in our lives. It is a both-and situation. The church is slowly, constantly changing, and there's the occasional big event, one about every 500 years or so, it turns out. We had the early church, right, the first few hundred years, where we gathered in homes and synagogues, and then in the 5th century, Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire, and the church soon carried the proverbial imperial torch. In the 11th century, east from west split, that's the Greek and Orthodox from the Latin and Catholic, and then the 16th century gave us Luther and a few other, few other, a lot of other important figures with the European Reformation. What will this 21st century get us now that another 500 years have passed? 
well, denominations have been merging rather than splitting. In much of the world, the church and its influence is shrinking. But in other parts, which is to say the global south, the church has been growing rapidly. Just as an example, do you realize the largest Lutheran denominations by membership are in Ethiopia and Tanzania, and they were founded around 1960 and have been growing tremendously fast. So times are a-changing, and change is just about the only constant. Well, besides the fact that every year we have the same readings on Reformation, at least for now, Every year we hear Jesus say, the truth will set you free. Every year those Judeans who had believed in him are confused, but Jesus clarifies we are slaves to sin. The only way to have a permanent place in the metaphorical house, the house of God, is if the Son, the Son of God, grants you such a place. So we've got a new teaching, we've got freedom promised, permanence, and it's all ours because of the truth. Now, I just laid out 2,000 years from a 2,000, 20,000 foot view. And there's been so much change, conflict, reform. We might just have to wonder alongside Pontius Pilate, what is truth? Can truth change over time? I mean, doesn't change imply that we were wrong before? Isn't Reformation, by definition, an indictment on how we used to do things, at least how we did them most recently? Well, perhaps we can answer these sorts of questions a few different ways. For example, some Reformation is merely a course correction. It's not an all-new thing to say, we should be emphasizing scripture. We should lean into God's grace. We should proclaim the gospel plainly. It wasn't new when Luther put such an emphasis on it either. He went right back to Paul and Jesus to find these ideas. He was correcting for the fact that the church had lost sight of them. The church had strayed from those important ideas. We might also remember that truth is an underlying principle, which does not change, but its implications can change, namely when its context changes. Not that we must know better than our ancestors did, nor that right and wrong depend solely on the culture in which we ask the question what is right or wrong. In fact, it doesn't work that way at all. But circumstances do change. So with them, what we are called to do changes. So in a room full of hungry people, the right thing to do is feed those people. But in another room, feeding the people might be the wrong thing to do. Say they're overfed or you name it. Right and wrong didn't change. The room you were in changed. It's with this move from the church at a wide scope to us as individuals that I want you to consider this from a new angle. How does the church reform in you? You are, after all, a member of the body of Christ when the church reforms. That means you are reforming too, and vice versa. Because, again, some of us would be tempted to say, it doesn't, right? The way I've always done it, the way I was raised, the way it seems plain and simple to me, 
whether we're talking about the church, the Bible, the tradition, you name it, that's just the way it is. The church isn't reforming in me anyway. But might it be? I mean, we are microcosms of the church, and so too, our circumstances change over time. The truth which sets us free does not. What we are freed from, sin, death, and the devil, likewise has not changed. What we're freed for, what we're called to do, might have. So let's consider three ways people might integrate their faith. Like bring the gospel, bring God into their day-to-day lives. These aren't the only ways to do it, and I'm going to generalize a little bit, but here's three different broad strokes models on how to integrate faith. And the first is this all-encompassing monolithic way. There's one way or the highway. This faith of mine is big enough, important enough to influence every single little detail of my life what I buy, where I go, what I say, who I associate with, and so on. Now, I don't think we have to go too far back in time to meet people who at least leaned that way, right? They could explain their place in the world and start off the sentence with, well, because I am a Lutheran. But to lean in all the way, to really mean it, that there's only one unwavering truth, one way to be, One idea by which my whole life will be directed? I don't know if anyone's really doing that now. Not around here. Except maybe the Amish? I mean, they seem to be about the only ones letting the old thing be the only thing and not changing or reforming as time goes on. Most of us don't do that. Instead, most of us use the second way here, second way to integrate faith which is to kind of not really integrate it, right? Let's call it compartmentalization. We divide our life into these compartments. Let's call them buckets. We divide our life into buckets, and we put some time, some energy, some resources into each of those buckets. Over here, I'm a member of my family. Then I have my vocation over there, and I'm a member of my church on Sundays, well, most Sundays. Well, maybe I'll get to that bucket on Christmas. We can imagine it as a room full of buckets and bozos right there trying to get us to put at least one ball into each of them. Keep them all a part of your life. So if we evaluate where those balls, metaphorical balls, our time, our money, our attention, etc., where if we evaluate where they end up, we learn what sort of buckets we have, how important each one is, and For most of us, faith is just one bucket among many. Now, the third and final way to integrate faith, kind of like that. So if you aren't already, start imagining your life as a room full of buckets. Bozo is now optional. This time, we're going to pull the faith bucket out of the room. We're still compartmentalized. We still have multiple roles. We're still pulled in different directions by different obligations and people and so on. But now, we'll bring faith back in, but not as another bucket. We'll bring it back in as, let's say, a sheet. And that sheet will be flung over and now cover all the other buckets. It doesn't fill any of them. It doesn't remove any of them either. But it affects every single one of them. It fills it in its own way. 
faith fills each of those aspects of our lives in its own way. Rather than, let's say, live on a 17th century farmstead, right? we're not going to do that. We will consider our faith, though, and consult our faith community when making big decisions about what to do and where to live. It doesn't dominate that bucket, but it's over it, right? It influences what we do and where we live. When we make our budgets or write out our wills, we're not going to sign over everything to the church or any other one place as though it were some oppressive cult with some income-based membership dues, but we will remember when that time comes, budgets and wills, that our churches depend on our generosity and give them some priority, as well as other services or organizations or individuals that our faith holds us toward. When we evaluate our schedules or plan the week ahead, budgeting our time, we might say, we will make sure there is time for those endeavors of faith, worship, service, prayer, fellowship, so on. So if we do some introspection, if we look back over the past week and we find we sank a whole afternoon or evening to get out to a three-hour-long movie, but somehow didn't have time to get to church. It's not just that we happened, you know, right, to fill the movie bucket, maybe with popcorn or something, while ignoring the church bucket. It's that we failed to let our faith influence the way we budgeted our time across all those buckets. We failed to let faith have an influence on our schedule. This metaphorical sheet, which is overlaid upon every other aspect of our lives, has the truth woven throughout it. And the freedom we have in Christ comes with it. That means in every aspect of our life, we can embrace freedom from sin. No fear of death. No guilt or shame over the past. Freedom to live as Christ calls us in every aspect of our lives. The truth, the truth of the gospel is the same for you, for me, for Luther, for all these 2,000 years. But my buckets don't look like your buckets, right? We've got different backgrounds or upbringings, and even in a room full of English-speaking American Lutherans, there's still plenty about us which varies. So reforming the faith on an individual level is just doing that work I already mentioned, the introspection, evaluating our whole lives through this lens, finding the places where God is neglected and where our faith needs more attention. Reformation on the church level is like that too. The circumstances of the world, the needs of the day, the needs of this community and the communities around us have changed, and they're always changing. The truth didn't. The truth didn't change. And if it seems like it did, like the answers that we used to be so sure of are now being called into question, and vice versa, the things we questioned we're sure of, it's not that the truth changed, but it may just be that the questions have changed. And we as individuals, as the church, as a community together, have new answers. 
Change isn't all bad. Constant, and it's necessary. But we have to be diligent about it so that the truth is still there, influencing every aspect of our life so that the gospel is proclaimed again through every aspect of our lives. Amen.